Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. Text open to Isaiah 55, verses 6 through 9. Um, I enjoy trying to figure things out. Uh, in the study of theology in particular, I, I enjoy trying to think through uh, the problems that come our way when we seek to explain and understand the Christian faith uh, in a coherent, comprehensive, and cohesive manner. That, that's from Theology 101. Uh, and, and I like trying to have things sort of meld together where I understand them. And I think that's why sometimes Jesus drives me up a wall. You know, I, I understand where Peter was coming from. Jesus didn't seem to quite get it. I mean, there, there are certain things that, that God is supposed to do and there are certain things that Jesus is supposed to do and to say and to be. And then you go to the text and you go to the, the, the Scriptures and you discover that God doesn't always say what you think he should say. He doesn't always condemn the people I want him to condemn. And he certainly saves a lot of people that I would never have thought of saving. So, you know, you, you have this, this situation where God is, is entirely and completely surprising, and when you, when you study the, the Gospels and you read the, the teachings of Christ, you find again that he's forever surprising us with what he's doing and with what he's saying. I mean, he never did get mathematics right. I mean, he, he kept saying things like, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Okay, try to work that out in your algebraic equations. He would say things like, you know, if you want to be the greatest, you've got to be the least. You've got to be a servant of all if you're going to be the greatest of all. That doesn't work out. I don't understand that. He said if you want to live, you have to die. And if you try to, to, to live and, and hang on to your life, then, then you'll die. But if you die first, then you live... <laughs> I mean, this guy confuses me. I don't quite get it sometimes. But I'm in good company because the folks in the days of Christ never got it either. You remember Peter even, uh, he took Jesus to one side after Jesus had, had explained to his followers. He said, look, the Son of Man has got to go to Jerusalem. There he's going to be arrested, tortured. He's going to be uh, crucified. Third day he'll rise again. Peter took him to one side and said, Jesus, you haven't read the textbooks. You know, you, you, haven't, you haven't gotten it down yet. Let me explain it to you, Jesus, and get thee behind me, Satan. I understand where Peter was, though, because Jesus didn't think the way we thought he should think. There's a sentence in there somewhere. <laughs> and so when we come to this sort of amazing, gracious invitation of God that we started to look at last week, we come to understand that God invites people in a very strange way. He says, look, if you're thirsty, come to the waters and be filled. If you don't have any money, come anyway. I'll let you buy without money. I'll let you eat without paying the tab because the price has already been paid. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross, 
the tab was paid in full. And so now we come and we eat and we, and we just luxuriate in the sustenance of God and we do so freely and without cost. That's what Isaiah says. He said, come to the waters. You're thirsty? Come on. You're hungry? Come on. It's free. There's no tab. The price has been paid. See, in my mind, there, there should be a price. I mean, I've, I've even talked to people when you share the gospel with them, they'll say something like, that's too easy. Have you ever heard somebody say that? That's too easy. Don't you have to do something? Don't, don't you have to maybe join a church or get baptized? Don't you have to be good or, or, or something? It, it's too easy to say all you have to do is come to the cross and ask Jesus into your heart as Lord and Savior. That's too easy. No. That was the most difficult thing. But in our minds, we think we ought to pay a price. You notice Jesus wasn't impressed with the things that impressed us. Rich people would come to Jesus, and they would come to Jesus knowing that, well, because I have wealth, obviously God loves me. Because I have riches and wealth, obviously I know what I'm doing. Because I have riches and wealth, obviously I'm suited to do any job in the universe. Think about it. And Jesus would look at a rich guy and he'd say, you know what you need to do? You need to become a pauper first. Your money's holding you back. In fact, it's very hard for you to get into the kingdom with all that money hanging on to you. Now, the disciples were still sing, thinking like the rich guy. They came up and said, Jesus, if, if that's the case, if rich people can't get in with all their wealth and their, and their accomplishment and their achievement, if they can't get in, who can be saved? And Jesus said, you know, with, with man it's impossible. With God it's, it's, it's possible. All things are possible. But, you know, as for rich folks, it's easier to get a camel through the eye of a needle. I remind you, it can be done. Makes for cranky camels, but it can be done. <laughs> it's easier to get through the eye of a needle than it is to get a rich man into heaven because all the weight of the riches of earth are just tying him down, tying him down. He wasn't impressed with money. He wasn't impressed with power. Herod didn't impress him. Pilate didn't impress him. And he wasn't impressed with religion. When the religious authorities would come to him, they were the ones who got the lecture. You know, they were the ones who, who got the, the, the observation that, you know, guys, you're kind of like hypocrites. All your religion didn't count for anything. Now, by now, my head is spinning. It's, it's not wealth. It's not power. It's not religion. What could it possibly be? And Jesus would say, well, read your Bible. Isaiah 55, 1. You're thirsty? Just come and drink. You're hungry? Just come. Just come and eat because the tab has been paid. So that's the outlandish, impossible invitation of God. We simply come at his bidding. Now, look at Isaiah 55, uh, verse 6, and we continue. So, so how do you respond to that? How do you respond to that? Scripture says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. When God is close by, seek him. Jesus said, Seek and ye shall find. 
When he's close by, call upon him. The scripture says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so when God is near, when, he get, when he's right close to you, that's the moment. Reach out and simply call upon him and seek him, and you'll find him, and you will be saved. Now, that, that, that uh, phrase in there, while he may be found and while he is near, is, is sort of a disturbing phrase because it seems to indicate that there may come a time when you cannot call out. I'm not going to go into the whole uh, theology and, and, and doctrine of it, but let me say one thing. To each one of us, it is appointed once to die, and then comes the judgment. Book of Hebrews says to each one of us, we will come to the end of this life, and then, and then we step before the judgment throne of God. And at that point, the question is, what did you do with Jesus Christ? Did you receive him and embrace him as your Lord and Savior? Did you reject him and go your own way? Because God will honor that choice for all eternity. And having chosen to neglect God and reject Christ, he will not force you into a fellowship you never wanted, and you will depart into the everlasting torment of judgment. But if you have received Jesus Christ, at that moment you are ushered into the gates of glory for all eternity. Death comes to us all. And you may live to be 100. You may live to be two and 300. But death comes to us all. And I cannot promise you that you will never have another chance beyond this moment today to open up your heart to the love and grace of God in Christ Jesus and to open up your life to serve him and to be obedient and worshipful and adore him. I cannot promise you you will never have another moment. You might have another opportunity tomorrow. If you come back next Sunday, God willing, and I'm here, you will hear again about the grace of God in Christ Jesus. But you may not get home. And I don't say that to scare you. I simply say that to be realistic. We are not promised tomorrow. We are not promised this afternoon. We're not even promised that we will get out this door. I went to uh, the First Southern Baptist Church of San Diego, California as a child. That's where I uh, received Christ. That's where I was baptized. And one of the things I remember that church, I remember other things. So this isn't the only thing, but one of the, only, one of the things I remember about the First Baptist Church of San Diego, California, is that two pastors died of heart attacks while preaching in the pulpit. That's why I'm down here. <laughs> it's dangerous up there. I wish I'd known what they said. I wouldn't say it. Actually, there's a certain amount of stress and, and, and pressure and anxiety. Okay. But I'm not even promised to get through this sermon. And you aren't either. So I don't, I don't say this to, 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 you know, do one of those scare tactics things. I simply observe the obvious that all of us live but a breath away from eternity and call upon him while he is still near. Seek him. Call upon him. Because you don't know when death will end the nearness. Call upon him before indifference makes you cold and hard-hearted towards God. You know, a lot of us have developed mechanisms whereby we keep God at a distance all the while looking good. You know, we know how to come to church and get through a sermon without ever actually hearing anything. 
I mean, we, we learned this early. We come to church with a coloring. When I was a kid, it was a coloring book. Now it's a, a game, iPad or something like that. And then as, as teenagers, we come, but we come with our friends and nudges and laughs and this thing and that, and, you know. We had high-tech instant messaging. We had little note paper and pencils and <laughs> never got lost in the ether sphere. But then you get to be a, a young adult and you, you start to learn how to sit under the Word of God and never have it touch your heart because preach it, preach it, pastor, they need to hear it. They need to hear this. I'm fine, but I'm here to support you as you tell them what they need. And then, you know, if something comes across that actually touches my life, you know, it's almost like subconsciously I develop a coughing fit, I have to go out and get a drink of water, come back in, maybe you're done. We worship and sing the songs. We sing the songs by not singing the songs. You know, we just, we just sort of there and kill time while the music's going on. Some people really like the old hymns. What they really like is, if I'm not going to sing a hymn, I want it to be a hymn I know. All right. But the, 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 the point is we, we've developed these ways to, to let the Word of God just go right by us. And we become cool and indifferent to the invitation of God coming to us. And we hear that wonderful invitation to give your, your life to Christ and say, well, you know, when I was a kid, I was baptized, I think, and that probably settles it. I wonder what's for lunch. We hear that wonderful invitation to serve him with all your heart, your mind, your soul, with all your strength, everything that you are to serve Jesus Christ. Say, well, I've heard that before. Let's not be a fanatic Let's not go overboard. Let's, let's not be outlandish about this. I know the preacher has to say that, but we pay him to say goofy things like that. But, you know, in the real world where all of us live, now nah, that'll never work. And, and so we, we, we've, we've just developed mechanisms to talk ourselves out of it, to rationalize, uh, rationalize ourselves to ourselves. And the gracious invitation of God goes right by us. We've become cool and we are indifferent to the invitation of God. I remind you that in the book of Exodus, Moses came to Pharaoh. He said, Pharaoh, God has a plan. Here it is. Let my people go. The Scripture says, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Moses came back to him and said, Pharaoh, God still has a plan. It goes like this. Let my people go. Scripture says, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Finally, the moment came when Moses came into Pharaoh. He said, Pharaoh, you know all those plagues? We've got a doozy coming now. But here's the plan, let my people go. And the scripture says, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. I don't want to get into the theology of it. I don't want to get into the, the mechanics of it. All I want to say is there's a cool, cold indifference that grows hard-hearted towards God where you can't even hear him anymore. While he is near, while he's still close by, call on him. Don't drift into that cool indifference. Call him on him while the Holy Spirit is tugging at your heart, tugging at your heart. See, none of us would come to God anyway. None of us would come to Christ except he draws us. 
the power of the Holy Spirit, you know, just, just woos us unto the cross and, and does a marvelous work of transforming our thinking and, 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 uh, and gives us that conviction of sin and that our knowledge of the need of the Savior. All that's the work of the Holy Spirit. While the Holy Spirit's working in your life, tugging you to the things of Christ, call on him and embrace him. Do not hinder him. You see, the Holy Spirit might be calling you this morning. Maybe, maybe you've, you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe, you know, you went forward, shook the preacher's hand, got baptized, you know, joined the church, sat in the pew, gave some money, carried a Bible in a nice Bible case. But you've never come face to face with Jesus Christ and given him your heart and your life. When the Holy Spirit calls you, you feel that, that tugging in the heart. Call on him while he's near. Seek him while you can still find him. You know, and brother and sister in Christ, it works all life long. You know, whenever the Holy Spirit's calling you and, 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 and just drawing you into the will of the Father, call on him and seek him because you'll find him. You live in the joy and the glory of that salvation. So, um, so there, there's this wonderful call. Seek him while he may be found. While he's near, call on him. Let me tell you about a man named Zacchaeus. You may have heard of him. Uh, Zacchaeus was um, a wee little man. <laughs> no, no, serious. A wee little man was he. And he climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior came that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house for tea. All right, Debbie's folks were both born in England. That's the way they learned it. That's the way she learned it. That's the way I'm preaching it. I have to go home with her. <laughs> but I'm going to your house for tea. Now, what motivated Zacchaeus to go see Jesus? Was it a whim? You know, was it a case where Zacchaeus said, you know, I've got nothing better to do. This Jesus guy is coming through. He seems to be entertaining. Uh, everybody says they, they like to listen to him. I, I, I'm just curious. Maybe I'll go. It might have been a whim, and it might have been the conviction of the heart that he was so far alienated from his neighbors and from his kinfolk, from the people of his nation. He had so um, abused them and extorted money from them and had manipulated the taxation system for his aggrandizement and his wealth, and they hated him, and he, there was nobody else. It may have been that gentle tug of the Spirit that said, Zacchaeus, this is your last hope. Now, Zacchaeus said, no, I'm not going, going to sit here. There's a game coming on. Don't want to miss it. But he went to see Jesus. And when he got there, there, there was a crowd alongside the road, and Zacchaeus, being of small stature, couldn't see over their heads. And if he tried to push through, this was your chance to get Zacchaeus. 
right at eye level, evidently. And so, and you know, he couldn't get through it. So he figured out, he ran ahead and he climbed up in a sycamore tree so he could watch Jesus come by. Now, I suspect that wherever Jesus walked, if there were trees, you had some people in them. I mean, have you ever seen pictures of crowds at, uh, at, at parades? You always got some kid hanging from a lamppost, right? So I'm, I'm suspecting that might have been the case. Jesus, under no obligation to stop at that sycamore tree, under no obligation to take notice of this silly little man up a tree in his life. And so Jesus is coming by, and by the overwhelming grace of God, Jesus stops. Nothing but grace. And he looks up in the tree and he sees this silly little man, Zacchaeus, you come down. The Greek text says, it is necessary for me to have dinner at your house. I have to do this. And Zacchaeus came down. While Jesus is passing by, and he looks up and he calls you by name, he says, I've got to have tea with you today. Call on him. Seek him. While the invitation is there, while the Spirit prompts, don't hesitate. Don't delay. All right. So, uh, verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Oh, I know what that verse means. I've got it all figured out. It means that you go and you find those wicked people, those wicked people down there, over there, doing whatever it is that you don't like, and you go get in their face and say, you wicked person, you stop that now. Did you ever notice that Jesus never did that? When somebody came to him and was possessed of an unclean spirit, Jesus did not get in their face and say, look, you know this is your own fault, don't you? You realize that you didn't pray enough. You realize that you weren't in temple enough. You didn't sacrifice enough. You realize that the last time the Spirit left, you cleaned house, but you didn't replace it with anything, and he came back with seven more. That's why you're in the problem you're in. He didn't give them a lecture. He didn't give them a sermon. He didn't wag his finger in their face. All he did was drive the demon out and cleanse them. Now, the religious people came to him with their righteousness. They got the sermon. They got the lecture. They got the confrontation. But when a woman taken in adultery was thrown down at his feet, Jesus didn't start to lecture her on how she was a part of the of the decimation of the, of the, of the American, of, of the Judean family and, and how she was partially responsible for the immorality that was going on in the young people and all this. All he said was, I don't condemn you either. Just go and sin no more. And he forgave her. You know, when the paralytic was dropped down in front of him, you know, Jesus didn't start to talk to him about, well, you understand, don't you, that your life is the way it is because of your choices and even though this thing, you know, he, he didn't start lecturing. All he said is, you know, fella, your sins are forgiven. So evidently, when it says, let the wicked forsake the way, it's not talking about wag your finger in somebody's face and, and ream them out. It's talking about a gracious invitation that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are not shackled to our wicked ways anymore. And we are not chained to our evil thoughts anymore. We are set free from these things. 
Oh, luxuriate in the grace of God because when you come to him, he will have compassion on those who confess their sins and he will abundantly pardon. Doesn't say he will pardon provisionally. Doesn't say he will pardon once. You get one get out of jail card and then then it's over. He says he will abundantly pardon. And what that means is as we gather together and read the word of God, we read these things so that we might not sin. But if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Is a propitiation for our sins, the, the means of forgiveness, of turning the wrath of God away, the means of, of the forgiveness of our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the invitation of God. Now, this doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to me. I get tired with people, you know. I help them out once, twice maybe, three times on a good day. Fourth time, they get the lecture, you know, for their own good. But God forgives, and he forgives, and he forgives, and he forgives. And brother and sister in Christ, no matter how far you have wandered, God's grace draws you back. And by the wonderful mercy of God, you are can be and are made whole by the power of the Holy Spirit. Just come back to him. Just come back to him. You see, Nicodemus, Zacchaeus um, experienced that. He went home, he had dinner with, with Jesus. You remember what he said? He stood up after dinner. He said, Lord, half of my possessions I give to the poor. Now, understand that the rabbis, the, the, the religious teachers of the day, said, never give away more than a fifth of your money. said, never give that more than a fifth to the poor. 20%, that's it. 20%, okay. So never give more than that. Why? The rabbi said, if you give more than that, then you become poor, and somebody's going to have to give you their money. So cut out the middleman. You keep your money and only give a part of it to the poor. This man stood up. He hadn't read the rabbis. He said, I give half of what is mine. I give it to the poor. And then he said, if I have defrauded anyone, you know, the guys in the room are laughing at this one. If, if, see what Zacchaeus meant wasn't if by chance through some error in bookkeeping I accidentally overcharged somebody on their taxes, if I defrauded any, I don't think I have, but if you can find somebody. No, what he meant was those people I've defrauded. If I've defrauded you, you come. If I cheated you, you show up on my doorstep because I'm going to give it back to you fourfold, four times over. Yeah, do the math. Zacchaeus was wiped out financially. This doesn't make any sense. But his heart was changed. And you remember what Jesus said? Remember what he said? You know, it's hard for us to understand that I think some things just made Jesus happy. Okay? Just made him happy. He said, today, salvation has come to this house. For this man, too, is a son of Abraham. Look at this. Salvation has come. Now, notice something. The, 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 the restitution, the giving of the money, followed Jesus coming into his house, didn't precede it. It wasn't as though Jesus said, 
Zacchaeus, as soon as you restructure your finances, give to the poor, then I will come in. He said, no, Zacchaeus, I've got to come in right now. And the moment Zacchaeus found himself in fellowship with Jesus Christ, his life changed, and he was no longer shackled to his money any longer. By the way, that's why our financial plan in this church is to just preach Jesus, have people fall in love with Jesus, the money will take care of itself. But it didn't make any sense. But all he was called to do was to come and to know the overwhelming compassion, the mercy, the pardon, the forgiveness of God. Okay, let's, let's finish it off. None of this is really making sense. You know, it didn't make sense to the people in Zacchaeus' day. Look, here, um, the, the, the story's in Luke chapter 19. I'm going to read this to you so you know I'm not making this up. In Luke 19, 7, when they, the crowd, saw it, that is, that Jesus was going home with Zacchaeus. So the crowd has come along. They're following with Jesus. They're, they're all happy. Hey, Jesus, how are you? Hey, good to see you, buddy. You know, Okay. But then Jesus links up with Zacchaeus, the hated tax collector, and Jesus goes home with Zacchaeus. Could have come home with me. I say grace before meals. Maybe I keep a kosher house. Uh, I attend synagogue. Everybody likes me. And you're going home with Zacchaeus? What's with that? And when Jesus came to the place, oh, no, 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 verse 7, and when they saw it, they all grumbled. They're just Zacchaeus. You've never done that, but I'm, I'm pretty good at it. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. He's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Cut it out, Jesus. Because you're always going to sinners' houses, tax collectors, the wrong people. You're ignoring your base. They didn't understand it because they knew how a man of God should operate. He ought to go with the good people and leave the bad people to one side. After all, don't we deserve it? That's what they're thinking. Now, turn back to Isaiah 55, verse 8. When God says... My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heaven is above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. If anybody wants to do a spiritual roundhouse kick and fist pump, do it now. God's thoughts are not yours. And I hate to break this to you, but your thoughts are not God's. You see, his thoughts, they're higher, they're nobler, they're deeper, they're more profound, they're more beautiful, they're more inclusive, they're more comprehensive. You know, and, and then we go to God and we say, God, I don't think you understand what's going on right here. You need to change course because here's what I think should happen, this, this, and this. You know, and just be thankful that God doesn't slay us in holy laughter. But, you know, I mean, 
what, what would happen if God said, okay, it's not working out the way you think because you're looking over the space of what, maybe 10, 20, 30 years. And maybe you're including your life, your family's life, and maybe an extended family and a few friends. I'm thinking about the universe, and I'm thinking about eternity. I'm thinking about all time. I'm thinking about every human being who has ever lived, whoever will live. I'm thinking about eternal and everlasting glory. Now, let's compare my thoughts to your thoughts. And to which the correct response is, See, when God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, he's drawing us out of a very limited, narrow uh, view of the world that, that, that closes us in. And he's saying, you know, you need to start thinking with this extravagant notion of grace and this unbounded limit of, of, of pardon and mercy. And you've got to, you've got to start viewing others in a, in a way that, that's, that's just totally alien to anything you would do as, 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 out of the flesh. This is something amazing that we would... Look at thoughts the way God does. I mean, it applies to so many areas of life. But the primary application is to salvation. It says, look, I'm going to save people, and I'm going to do it by grace. It won't make sense to you, but my thoughts are not your thoughts. Look, I'm going to send my son, the prince of heaven, the son of God. I'm going to send Jesus Christ, who is fully God, fully man. I'm going to send Jesus, who never, ever said, who lived the perfect life, who is within himself by his very essence, holy and righteous. I'm going to send Jesus for you, and you will crucify him. You'll nail him to a cross. You will kill him. Now, the third day I'll raise him up again. He'll ascend into heaven, and he's coming back. Judge the quick and the dead. This is my plan. What was yours? It doesn't make sense. That's, that's what he's talking about. My thoughts aren't your thoughts. Praise God. His ways are not our ways. Here's how Jesus expressed it. I mean, the, it, it, I think the people were scratching their head when Jesus said this uh, to, to the folks around Zacchaeus. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That doesn't make sense. You'd think he'd save the righteous. You'd think he'd come to, to draw in those who were sick and, uh, or those who were well and who were accomplished and who had life all together. He came to save lost people, broken people, wounded people, hurting people, shattered people, confused people, foolish people. Jesus came to save you and me. And that doesn't make sense. But his ways are not our ways. And his thoughts aren't our thoughts. By grace, he lets us in on just enough to praise him and adore him. By grace, he lets us understand just enough of his plans that we can turn heavenward and give the Father absolute worship, honor, and adoration in the name of the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Just by grace, he allows us to understand enough to just magnify him. But we haven't even begun. We don't know the smallest part of it. So I, I would just say to you, you know, if you don't know Christ, now's the moment. Now's the moment. You're saying it doesn't make sense to me. You're saying I don't know how it works out. Of course you don't. But God does. And the work of the Holy Spirit in your life will draw you and lead you day by day, step by step. 
And brother and sister in Christ, maybe you've hit that cold indifference thing. Maybe you've hit that, uh, that, that spot in life where you're just sort of on autopilot. Call on him while he's near. While the Holy Spirit reaches out and touches your heart this morning and says, here's something I want you to work on. Here's something I want you to give to me. Here's something that I want you to do to serve me. Here's how I want you to grow in order to glorify me. As the Holy Spirit works in your life like that, call on him. Call on him. Seek him. You'll find him. You'll know the joy of salvation. Look, God's ways aren't ours. You won't understand them all. But you can understand enough about God's gracious invitation to say yes to Christ. Let's bow for prayer. And Father, how I thank and praise you that you've opened our eyes to the glory of what you were doing in Jesus and the majesty of the cross and the wonder of grace. Father, I thank you that you give us that prompting of the Holy Spirit to draw us to you. I only ask that you would continue to work and that our hearts would be opened and we would be made bold to step up and step forward for Jesus, to embrace him, to love him, to serve him, to honor him, to adore him, to magnify him among the nations, and that in doing so, we would respond to this wonderful invitation of grace. I pray for the folks in this room, your will in each life. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.